morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to the Bible lesson. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He's also 100% human, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and he lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He's the sovereign God of the universe, and he is the Jewish Messiah. And the funny thing about being the Jewish Messiah is he was here on earth. He had come to rescue his people, and they esteemed him not. They looked right at him. He was right under their nose, and they didn't see him. And so often, that's what's true of our lives, too. All the goodness that we need is right under our nose, and we don't even see it. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference, and we make that difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home are Christians. Being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with Him, mainly because He wants one. And God has an enemy, though, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. He's a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. He doesn't want us to get to know God, and he interferes with our chance to know God. In John chapter 12, verse 31, it says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned from his position as ruler of this world at a future time. And one of the things that I am noticing about myself is that I've completely changed inside. You know, I used to be, before last year at this time, I used to be really hopeful. I was a really hopeful person, and I I thought, wow, everything is good and everything is wonderful. If I had a relationship with somebody, I thought, oh my goodness, this relationship is amazing, and I'm here for that person, and they're here for me. And the, the study of 1 Corinthians has completely flipped that on its ear because now I don't see the world the same way. The way I see the world is this. There are people in my life that I have a relationship with. They may be on my side. They may not. I'm not going to know whether they're on my side or not until there's a crisis because one of the things I've noticed is that whether somebody's on your side or not always comes out in a crisis. I don't expect that when I go out into the world, I don't expect to be treated well. And I, was, I had a great argument with one of my friends last night who's black, and he's, he's a victim. You know, and so he's always talking about what the white man is doing to him and how everything's unfair. And I said, tell me something I don't know. I've been seeing that unfairness for 65 years, haven't you? And he's, he's almost 60. You know, I've gone from colored to Negro to nigger to spook, jigaboo, minority, African-American, colored, uh, person at risk, anything but a man. Has it been different? Has it ever been different? It's not different. So I'll always bet on the people that it's hard for. I'll always bet on the people who have it harder. Black people ought to get warm up to the fact that because we have it harder, that makes it better for us. People who go to the gym have it harder. (laughs) 
right? But they're also more muscular. But that's the world we live in. That's the kingdom we live in. And this doesn't just apply to black people. I know black people. You know, I, I, any, any of y'all white folks want to come up here and say what, it, what it's like for y'all? Because I'll give you like 10 minutes. But it's that way for all of us. And so because we're all disadvantaged by something, the real question is, what are you going to do? And my buddy, all he wants to do is talk. And I've, been, I've known him for 40 years, and it's the same conversation over and over and over. It's the same stuff coming out of his mouth today that was coming out of his mouth in 1990. Does he get it? No, he doesn't. Does he get it that he's the only one that can do something about it and nobody's going to fly in and rescue him? That's Satan's kingdom. That's this kingdom we live in. It's the kingdom we have always lived in. It's why we're on guard. We're on guard because we know that the system is rigged. I was just talking to June about Medicare and Social Security. So all during your working life, you pay into this. And the lie is that when you get 65, then you're going to get, no, when you get 62, 66, and seven, or 70, you're going to get an amount every month. And so you're kind of looking forward to it. I know I was looking forward to it. I was thinking, wow, I'm going to get three grand a month. This is going to be exciting. That'll be some nice pocket change, right? Then I find, come to find out, because I'm not stopping working, I still have to pay into the system, but I can't get the benefits. I can't get the money because I'm making too much money. Now, does that even sound right? When I paid into the system, they say it won't be taxed at the end, and now it's going to be taxed, too. Is that even right? But that's what happens to us. And what do we do? Uh, okay. All right. Welcome to Satan's kingdom. So that, all this stuff, this, the realizations of all this, is changing me inside. And not for the worst, because I realize now what God is telling us in Philippians 3.20 when he says that for believers in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. We're on a road trip. This is not where we belong. This is not where we're going to live out our lives. And when this body of ours is off of us and we're in heaven face to face with the Lord, we're not going to face any of this for all eternity. So what's, what's 80 years? What's 90 years? What's 103 years? You know, 103 for me, you know, 30 or 40 for y'all. What is that? It's not a big deal. I'll put up with this for a little while momentary and light affliction is nothing compared to the inheritance that our God has prepared for us. And what we come here to be reminded of over and over and over again, because we forget when we go out into the world, is that God has a, pr a plan for mankind, and he has a personal plan for you. And you know what's so cool about that plan? The, what's so cool about that plan is it never changes. It never changes. Last year at this time, God was on my side. This year at this time, God is on my side. And it isn't ever change. He's on your side, and he is going to work it out for you. He said it, he meant it, and he always does it. So that's why we remind ourselves at the beginning of every lesson who this God is and who his enemy is. And it reminds us to press on 
in the face of the junk that we have to deal with. Now, Satan's strategy against the human race is religion. The biggest deception in the history of mankind, and it is designed to make us either indifferent to God or antagonistic to God. Matthew chapter 23, verse 15 says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel around on sea and land to make one convert to your religion. And then when he becomes converted, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Religion deceives many people into thinking they are saved when they might not be. And it works really well. And you go to religious people and you tell them, hey, look at the doctrines of your religion. Do do, do they believe in Jesus Christ? Well, they mention him. Well, but do they think he's deity? Well, no. Okay. Well, the Bible has something to say about that. You want to know? No, not really. You see, my parents, what happened, my parents told me, okay, billions of people are deceived by religion. And those who are deceived don't stop to examine the doctrines of their religion to look for the deception. The Word of God, the Bible, is the truth. And it informs us about Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ, And we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, if the body operated like people do, it would die. If the body operated like people do, it would die. The body is one of God's perfect analogies. We have one body with many parts, and the parts operate as a coordinated whole. Each part of the body operates independently. Each part of the body can stand on its own. The right hand and the left hand can do different things at the same time. Right? You can give yourself a wet willy with your left hand, and you can wave to people with your right. It's awesome. In addition, the parts of the body depend on each other. After we eat, the stomach counts on the digestive juices to break down its contents. I don't know where that comes from. Where does it come from? The pancreas? I don't know where it comes from. But No, the pancreas produces insulin to keep our blood sugar. But there's this... this Dependence, right? And then the parts of the body work interdependently as well. Walking is really a series of falls. And the body falls, and the right foot catches the weight. And then the body falls again, and the left foot catches the weight. Except if you're June Murphy. (laughs) Down goes Fraser. Down goes Fraser. She goes right on her face. This is like right here, right up here in this area. Uh, <laughs> that was one of the most horrible experiences in my life. Believe me, there's nothing worse than seeing somebody falling and you're too far away from them to do anything about it. And even if I was close, like what am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? Anyway, our two legs work independently to allow us to progress as we walk or run. Well, what if the body operated like people, with divisiveness, disunity, and elitism? What if the teeth refused to chew food? The body wouldn't get nourishment. What if the eyes refused to see? And by the way, they often do. We sure would bump into things a lot. What if the lungs refused to breathe? The brain would be deprived of oxygen. If the body operated as people operate, it would die. In fact, when the heart refuses to beat any longer, we do die. 
In today's lesson, we'll continue our study of 1 Corinthians 12. The Apostle Paul uses the body as an analogy to encourage the Corinthian believers to give unity a try. All right, let's get some music under our belt. God has a plan for all mankind and a personal plan for your life, and he knows you personally. In Psalm 32.8, it said, The Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. When you know that God's looking out for you, that's an amazing thing. Well, in her beautiful song, Francesca Bastielli says it this way, He knows my name.
of my favorite songs ever. He knows my name. As a matter of fact, because we're justified as believers in Christ, he goes through the halls of heaven every day announcing our name and letting everybody up there who's there know that we're coming. Isn't that amazing? Just love that. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the lessons on divisions and disunity because they encourage us to look at, uh, at the possibilities of being there for each other like you are there for us. Thank you for the times when we have people in our lives who understand the value of harmonious operation. Thank you for illuminating the places in our lives where we operate as your enemy operates, out of harmony, even with ourselves. Help us to be reflections of the unity you've placed in us from the moment of salvation. Show us how to be there for other people. Encourage us to give of ourselves to others and to notice the possibilities. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, if the body operated like people do, it would die. If the body operated like people do, it would die. We continue our study of 1 Corinthians at chapter 12. And as we begin our in-depth study of the chapter, a couple of questions for reflection. The first one is this. What things are you allowing in your life that destroy unity with others? What things are you allowing in your life that destroy unity with others? For example, surrounding yourself with underachievers and doomsayers has an effect on you. What's a doomsayer? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Nothing's going to work out for me. I can't be the star of my own movie. Or underachievers who, who don't choose to step up to the amazingness that God has planned. One of my favorite things to do with my executive coaching clients who are believers in Christ is when they start whining, which they inevitably do. And it's okay with me. That, you, know, I'm, you know, part of executive coaching is therapy anyway. So I don't mind if, if they whine a little bit. But then I remind them, did you know that you're a child of a king? Did you know that Jesus Christ has you personally in mind by name and always has since the beginning of the universe, which there was no beginning, and will continue to have your, your, you personally in his mind by name at the end of the universe, but there is no ending? Did you know that? Did you know that you're a priest, an ambassador? Did you know that you are justified, redeemed, reconciled? Did you know you're atoned for, that you're forgiven? that every time you make a mistake, God gives you grace, that he loves you unconditionally. You know, all right, all right. Yeah. You want some cheese with that wine? That's what I ask. But we forget that. What things are you allowing in your life that destroy the unity with others? And that includes people, things, thoughts, Another question for reflection, who are the people you have in your life that are committed to disunity? And that's one of the things that's always funny to me. I, I know a lot of people who have been in my life over the course of time who are absolutely committed to disunity. And I've seen it, evidence, 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 evidence. Ten instances of evidence that make it absolutely clear that they're committed to disunity. But what are their words? Their, their words are, I love you. I miss you. What if we work together? 
Seriously? Honestly. You actually think that I would ever be that stupid again? Because it's obvious. But there are a lot of people, I mean, all right, so you see it ten times, you get it, right? I'm a slow learner. Maybe you see it two times and you get it. I, it takes me ten. But what was it like after the third one? And I'm still reaching out my hand one more time. You know, the hand's already chopped off, and I, I'm reaching it out. Here, you didn't get enough. Get the, get the arm, too. Get it up to the elbow. And so when we reflect on this, honestly, during the week, as you start to reflect on these things, think about why you make some of the choices that you make and why you make the decisions you make to have people in your life. You know, like every Thanksgiving and every Christmas, we get together with family. And then it becomes the same horror show. It's the same exact horror show. Everybody's trying to remind us of what a lousy person we were 20 years ago. I know I was a lousy person 20 years ago. I didn't even like myself then. I don't need to be reminded by you that I was horrible. And I don't, honestly, I don't want to sit here and hear the same story that you told last week or last Christmas about some sale you made when I knew it was a lie then and it's a lie now because you're telling the same one again and attributing it to a new event like I don't have a memory and I don't remember. So... These are the things that we deal with as human beings. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12 so far, we've learned that all Christians are spiritual. You know, on those dating websites, they're always saying, I'm I'm more spiritual, I'm not religious. They don't even know what that means. But we do as believers in Christ. And what it means is we have a relationship with the Spirit. All Christians have one grace gift given at one grace-given spiritual gift from God. What is your spiritual gift? And you were put in this congregation or brought to this congregation, if you're a believer in Christ, to bring your spiritual gift to this congregation. And so you sitting and not investigating what that is hurts this congregation. It doesn't help. We need you. See, that's the whole thing. One of the things that's so funny, I always coached boys basketball And there was always one kid on the team that was just that kid, you know? Like, he had not a speck of athletic talent, but he would show up. And so what are you going to say to him? You know, kid, you know, I I don't think you have a future in basketball. I really don't. Uh, You can't dribble. You can't shoot. Why are you even here? You know that every single championship that I've won, that kid hit the winning shot? Every one. Because everybody on the other team had made the assessment that he doesn't have to be guarded. Right? So we got the ball. If we hit the shot, we win. I say, okay, here's your moment. This is your moment. What I want you to do is go stand right down by the basket, And we're going to do a lot of machinations and passes, and then we're going to pass you the ball. And all you have to do is bank it off the backboard and let it go in like we've been practicing the whole year. You think you can do that? (laughs) You know, the nerdy kid. The nerdy kid. Wiping his nose, got glasses with a tape on him. You know, got a pocket protector. Socks pulled up way too high. 
You think you can do that? Yeah. And then here it comes, boom, 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 give him the ball, banks it off, and the whole team goes crazy. Right? His moment came. And so that's always the way it is. It's funny, and that ties in really well to what we're going to talk about. But that kid was important to the team. And it didn't seem like it. But he had his moment. All Christian lives are directed by God the Holy Spirit because it is the Spirit's responsibility after we are saved from the moment of salvation to oversee our sanctification, our being set apart by God for privileges, the privileges of the Christian way of living. Now, why does God want us to study 1 Corinthians? After 11 chapters, the theme is obvious. There are divisions. There is disunity. There is elitism in the Corinthian church, and some people in the church have asked Paul to address it. There are divisions. There, are, it, there is disunity. And there is elitism in our lives, and we can choose to address it. Black lives matter. What a stupid expression. Black lives have always mattered. As a matter of fact, all lives have mattered. What black people got to get is our lives have to matter to us. And this is what I was arguing with my friend last night. He's, he, well, you know, we, there, there was a time in the slavery times when we couldn't blah, blah, blah. We didn't grow up in slavery times. Shut up about it. Those people were way tougher than you. They were tougher than you. They got done what they wanted to get done. They just had to do it covert. They were smart. There was a woman who was running an underground railroad, getting people to the north. You remember that? What was her name? Harriet Tubman? Or I don't, I don't remember what her name was. What, it was Harriet Tubman? I mean, they got done what they wanted to get done. They just had circumstances. All of us have circumstances in our lives. Your circumstances are unique, and your circumstances are hard. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to be the hero in your situation or the victim? You're going to step up or you're going to suck your thumb. It's that simple. There's nothing special about me. I grew up in the ghetto with four people. We all had the same circumstance. We all had the same lousy environment. And we all made our choices. And the choices landed us different places. One of my siblings is a con artist. And where do con artists, what do con artists look like when they're 74 years old? They look like they sit around a house doing nothing and waiting to die. That's what they look like. That's not my life. I didn't choose that path. I saw something else. And the choices were hard. And the choices were Nobody, everybody in my family was always telling me that I was never going to be anything. I was never going to make anything of myself. And, and I used to look at them and I used to smile. And they said, why are you smiling? I said, because I'm going to punish you with my success. And I can't wait to come back and show you and see the look on your face when you realize that you're lying. Can't wait. I'm going to punish you with my success. That's a choice we make. There's nothing special about me. It's just that when you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to stay up really, really late at night to make sure that I'm working so that I'm getting an advantage because you're asleep. That's the difference. 
So we are spiritual beings being directed by God the Holy Spirit. We live in this kingdom of division and elitism and disunity. And so every time Paul is addressing one of these problems in the Corinthian church that he's been asked to address, he starts with the expression, now concerning. Here's what happened in 1 Corinthians 12.1. Now concerning the spiritually gifted ones, brethren, and the spiritually gifted ones were the ones who were acting like elitists. They were saying, my spiritual gift is better than yours. You fellow believers in Christ, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts since you're so smart and so knowledgeable. The elite always think they're smarter and better than everybody else. And they're going to be thinking that they're smarter and better than everybody else when they're sitting in the lake of fire sipping a mint julep. Amen? So, beginning in chapter 12 and continuing through chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is addressing a specific problem in a specific church in Corinth. And there are members of the church who think their spiritual gift is better than the spiritual gift of others, specifically the gift of tongues. Division, disunity, elitism, just like we experience today. Oh, no, maybe I'm wrong about that. We have a new president here in the United States. Don't you feel the unity? All of a sudden, on January 20th, did you feel that wave of unity that swept across the country? I didn't. It's the same divisive country that it was before. And when President Trump took office in 2016, the sovereign God of the universe was on my side. And when President Biden took office in 2021, the sovereign God of the universe was on my side. Nothing changed with my God, amen? Yeah, we don't have to worry about one thing. Human beings have a knack, though, for taking what is pure, like a spiritual gift, and making it impure. We get pure thoughts from the Word of God, and then Satan's influence asks us to doubt what our God is teaching us. And why would it be otherwise? We were born into Satan's kingdom of systemic disunity, and often we willingly donate our minds to his kingdom's agenda, even though it is not God's will that we would do that. It's well over 2,000 years after first century Corinth, yet we tolerate the same maladies as they did in their lives to this day. Racial division, social division, gender division. If you're a woman, you're lesser than a man. If you're black, you're lesser than white. If you are, uh, if you are rich, you're better than the poor. We tolerate that crap. Christians reflect poorly on themselves when they engage in the practices of the old self. Because when we're born again, there is a new creation. Changes happen within us. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28 say this. You believers in Christ are all adult sons of God the Father through faith in Christ. When you become a believer in Christ, one of the things that changes in you is you become an adult son of God the Father. Galatians 3, 27. For all of you who were baptized into union with Christ, something else changes. You have clothed yourself with Christ. You are now in union with him, and you can't get out. And you are now a member of the body of Christ, and you can't get out. You're placed into an automatic unity, and you can't get out of it. You're in a disunified kingdom, but you're in a state of unity within the body of Christ. And the best change of all, Galatians 3.28. 
In God's plan, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is no racial distinction. If you have an ounce of racism in you after salvation, that is coming from the flesh. That is not coming from the new creation. There is neither slave nor free man. There is no social distinction. How much money you make is not an issue in God's plan because he gives everybody different circumstances. And what he wants you to do is to manage the circumstances you have. There is nothing wrong with being wealthy. There is nothing wrong with being poor. And there's nothing wrong with being in the middle. Whatever you choose, and that's how you get what you get. You choose. Whatever you choose, manage it well. And there is neither male nor female, no gender distinction. I was asked by a group of women to come and speak to them, and I said, I don't think you, you want me to speak to you. <laughs> and they wanted me to speak about the glass ceiling in business. I said, I don't think you want me to speak about that. And they said, why? I said, because there isn't one. You're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're limiting yourself. The glass ceiling is your brain. I didn't hear another word from her. They don't want me to come and tell them the truth. They want me to reinforce the lie so that they have a reason to be a victim. No, there's no glass ceilings. So there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one. You who are in union with Christ Jesus. And don't get me wrong, there are racist people in the world. Don't get me wrong, things are loaded against us in the world. So what? So what? Sometimes when we're driving, there's a sinkhole in the street. We hadn't planned on that. What do you do? You go around it. You don't go home. You don't whine. You put your thumb in your mouth, curl up in the fetal position in the middle of the road and, and yell, put the, put, the, put the road back. Why is it a sinkhole? There are sinkholes in life. When you see it, go around it. Navigate it. And that's how you get strong. Why do we go to the gym? to tear down our muscles so that they grow back stronger. I want the person who worked harder. Amen? Amen? So in God's plan, all are created equal. In God's plan, there's unity. In the world's plan, Satan's plan, some are elite and some are not. That was the problem in Corinth, elitism, causing disunity and division. I have never been elite, and I don't want to be. I don't want to be. Let me hang out with people like that kid who's always wiping his nose. Those are the people I hung out with in school. All my girlfriends in college had one eyebrow and hair under their arms. Amen? You know why? You know why? Because you could talk to them. You could actually have a conversation with them. They got their homework done on Friday, didn't have anything to do all weekend. We could sit around and chat. It was awesome. You think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. Peter said, no, I didn't think he was good. I, I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> so our study of the Corinthian believers illuminates the divisions and the disunity and elitism in us as individuals, in our relationships, in our families, in our own households. The division, disunity, elitism theme has shown up in my life multiple times in the multiple relationships in the past year, and I know that has been the case for you as well. The people you think are on your side aren't always on your side. They say they are, but you know they aren't. 
Our amazing God allows a shaking to happen in our lives for a divine purpose. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 and 27 say this, And his voice shook the earth then, but now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Barah Ministries has been shaken a lot of time. And what shook out? All the people who weren't with us. All the people who were against us. They shook out. Okay, so we're small. I'm going to tell you later in the, in the lesson why we're small. But I like the group we have. I like it. And if it was one of you, I'd still like it. God shakes out things from our life that are not genuine, like divisions, disunity, and elitism. Praise him, because we need each other, and we don't need disunity. Now, God uses spiritual gifts to spread the influence of the sphere of unity into which he places us at the moment of salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says this, But to each believer in Christ is given the manifestation of God the Holy Spirit, a spiritual gift, by God, for the mutual benefit of all. People who don't know their spiritual gift, you're not looking because the spiritual gift is visible. It is not hidden. It is a manifestation of God, the Holy Spirit. And everybody outside of you could see it. Maybe you need to start asking other people, what do you think my gift is? They'll tell you. It is God, the Holy Spirit's sovereign job to distribute a spiritual gift to each believer, and then to direct the believer in Christ in how to use the gift. Our spiritual gift allows us to reflect God, the Holy Spirit, to a lost and dying world. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 31, Paul uses the body as an analogy to get his point across. Is it okay to be elitist and divisive and disunified because you think your spiritual gift is better than someone else's? If the body operated like we do, we would die. So let's look at the section that we're studying next. It begins at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. It says this, For just as the body is one, and yet has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink from one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.4 For the body is not one part, but many. 1 Corinthians 12.15 If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? 1 Corinthians 12.16 If the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? 1 Corinthians 12, 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? 1 Corinthians 12, 18, but now God has arranged the parts, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. 1 Corinthians 12, 19, by the way, that 18th verse tells you God has a plan. He doesn't wing it. 1 Corinthians 12, 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? 1 Corinthians 12, 20. But now there are many parts, but one body. 
1 Corinthians 12:21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. 1 Corinthians 12:22. On the contrary, it is much better, it is much truer that the parts of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Black people. <laughs> it's like God thought about you. Mexicans. <laughs> I got I got to mention my Mexican brothers because the black people and Mexicans are fighting for the bottom rung. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. My my poor son's got both of them in him. You know, it's like he doesn't know what the hell to do. He's just, just confused. This, the whole thing is the bottom rung. So <laughs> this is exactly how God works. What He does. Is when you're weak, he takes you and uses you in such a way that it confounds the world. Why would God pick the biggest murderer of all time to write two-thirds of the New Testament? Why would God say that a king who had sex with his best friend's wife, got her pregnant, sent his best friend to the front lines to be murdered, why would he say, this is a man after my own heart who does all my will? Why would he send Moses to speak when Moses said, don't send me, I don't speak very well? Why, why does he pick these losers all the time to do things? Why did he pick Gideon, give him 300 men, and Gideon said, well, wait, I, how do I know it's you, God? And puts God through about 10 tests. And then when God finally... He figures, okay, the 10 tests, it's you. Then he cuts his army down to 35 people, and they beat another army with pots and pans. That's God. He takes the weak and uses them. 1 Corinthians 12, 23. And those parts of the body which we consider less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our less presentable parts become much more presentable. You don't believe me? Stub your baby toe. Stub your baby toe, because your baby toe doesn't look like it does anything except wee, wee, wee all the way home, right? But you stub that bad boy, and it's a problem, because you didn't know it was a gripper, did you? First <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Corinthians 12, 24. Whereas our more presentable parts have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that part which lacked. God values you. If you think you're a nobody, God values you even more. And that's amazing. You've got to let that sink in. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. So that there may be no division in the body, but that the parts may have the same care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. And if one part of the body suffers, all the parts suffer with it. When you got a stomach ache, your head hurts. If a part is honored, all the parts rejoice with it. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are Christ's body, and individually you are parts of Christ's body. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, Second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then helps, then administrations, and various kinds of tongues. And we'll find out which of those gifts are still in play when we get to chapter 13. 
1 Corinthians 12, 29. All are not apostles, are they? So don't be jealous of somebody else's gift. All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? Stay in your lane. First, <laughs> people are always trying to come in my lane. June used to come up to me all the time. You know, June is my, you know, one of my favorites in here. and I just love picking on her. But June used to always come up to me after, at, at the break. Now, the breaks are for me. I know you think the breaks are for you, but the break is for me. And June used to come up here, and she started going into her pastor routine. And so I just started calling her priestess. And then finally I said, do not come up here on the break. Because she would come up and try to get in my lane. Your lane is singing. Stay in your lane. It's the same thing you tell me all the time. When I start get a little spirit and I start singing, you tell me to get back in my lane. I'm back in my lane. Amen? Amen. Stay in your lane. That's what this is saying right here. All do not have the gifts of healing, do they? All don't speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? No. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I'm going to show you a far better way. What do you think that far better way is that he's going to show us? Hmm. Ooh, can't wait to get to chapter 13. Anyway, that's the passage we're going to be studying when we return from the break, which is for me. <laughs> We will take the offering, and then we'll see how our bodies teach us the value of unity. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life, I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody. We're all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that Start talking to me, saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody, trying to tell everybody, all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world. For the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down 
Welcome back. Today's lesson, if the body operated like people do, it would die. If the body operated like people do, it would die. Many churches teach tithing. The idea that it is a requirement to give one-tenth of your income to the church. I am a big supporter of tithing. <laughs> Honestly, when we get people who are religious in here, they give a lot better than the people who are in Barah Ministries who know what, what things are. But anyway, I digress. Yet if we look at what the Old Testament has to say about tithing, in context, we see a very different picture of what the Lord is saying about it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. You see, it doesn't even connect to money, does it? And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. See, what God is saying is when you give, what I'm going to do is give even more to you. That does not say when you give, uh, unless you give, I'm not giving you anything. It it isn't saying that you can use money to buy a blessing from God. And tithing actually was a 10% across the board income tax in the Old Testament, which I would heartily endorse going back to. But anyway... The church needs your giving to function. We have bills. We have financial obligations that are part of having a church. Tithing is much more about what God does for us when we give than what we do for him in giving. So what is God's New Testament philosophy about giving? Well, it's the same as it was in the Old Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8 say this. Now this I say, this is Paul talking, he who sows sparingly, that is, he who gives little, reaps sparingly, gains little. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So each one of us must give just as he has decided within his own heart. You make the choice. Not giving grudgingly or under compulsion, For God loves a purpose-driven giver. And the purpose-driven giver is a giver who gives because they want to. 2 Corinthians 9.8 And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for your giving and for every good deed. God replenishes everything you give and not on a one-to-one basis. He doesn't work on a one-to-one basis. He gives and he gives abundantly. So you do the same. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Bra Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. We're blessed to have you, Deacon Danny. Thank you. This is a place for unity. This is a place for focus. This is a place to counteract the world, because the world's trying to pull us apart. It's trying to separate us. It's trying to get us bogged down and quit, like Pastor said. It wants to just give up, get a sinkhole in life, just turn around and go home, right? 
That's not, that's, you know, the Bible even confirms this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the unconditional love of God the Father is not in him. 1 John 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from God the Father, but is from the world. 1 John chapter 2, 17. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does, not, does the will of God the Father lives forever. So it just confirms that everything in the world has, nothing to, has no good for you, no good value. Whether it's the lust of the flesh that pulls us away in sexual lust, or lusts of the body and to entice us with drugs and those kind of things, or you move to the next level and you start buying a lot of possessions and get stuck with that, and that's what makes you happy in life. And that's another thing that pulls you away from a communal effort of like a church. You're going to give all your money to yourself, your lust of the flesh, your lust of the eyes, you're going to buy cars, you're going to have all this stuff. And then you take the next step, you're worried about pride, you're trying to show off. You want some kind of name in life, like, oh, look, look what I do, look at all the possessions I have. And None of that matters, that's all natural stuff, none of that's supernatural. It's all garbage. You know, the world says stuff like size matters, but the size of a church doesn't dictate the efficacy of its, of its gospel message. We get the gospel message out every week, multiple times, every week. Do you think the big churches do that? They don't do that. They forget, they forget about that. People are worried about numbers. God's worried about one, one person at a time, every single soul, not just big numbers in a church. And so when we come together and we, we disregard what the world has to say, that's really you know, putting a thumb up, to, Jesus, thumb up to, to Satan and his world. That's really showing that we can unite. Look at this unity we have here to, together. It's such an important part to focus on the supernatural part of life, what God has to say and not what the world has to say. So don't let the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life pull you away from what really matters. And that's having a relationship with God and spreading the word and getting to know him on a daily basis. So thank you for always giving at the offering, and thank you for being part of our unity here at Broad Ministries.
Thank you, Deacon Denny, for an excellent message. Today's Bible lesson, if the body operated like people do, it would die. If the body operated like people do, it would die. So let's look at the next section of this three-chapter passage, verse by verse, beginning in 1 Corinthians verse chapter 12, verse 12. Here's what it says. For even as the body is one, which means an independent unit, and yet it has many members parts that are dependent on each other, the right hand and the left hand. All the members are part of the body. Though they are many, they are one body operating interdependently. So also is Christ, one in unity with the body. See, the body works in unity, and there are three elements of the body. There's the independent, the the parts work independently, they work on their own. The parts are dependent on each other, and the parts work interdependently, simultaneously. Relationships work just like that, too. You know, I I always love it when you hear these people on TV say, well, I'm a very strong and independent woman. Okay. All right. Boy, that's exactly who I want to be in a relationship with, right? Leaning on one part too much, as if there's no dependency in a relationship. As, there's, as if there's no time when there's going to be an interdependence in a relationship where you have to work together in harmony, not two people running in different directions solo. That doesn't work out very well. And so it's, it, it, it is that we have to gain skill in all three of these areas. We have to know how to depend on people. And that's painful sometimes. We have to know how to be independent, to stand on our own two feet, And we have to know how to work in harmony. And that's why I like sports, because sports is one of the last bastions in our world where those three things are always in play and those three things are critical. You can always tell the teams that are going to go nowhere. And it's the teams with people on them that are too independent. The Houston Rockets last year, you know, they had James Harden, Mr. Ooh, look how I can dribble and look how many points I can get 50 points while the other four of you stand around. And then they said, okay, well, that selfishness isn't enough. Let's now get another selfish person. Uh, What's that kid's name that was at Oklahoma State? Westbrook. Westbrook. Yeah, now they bring in the next selfish guy, and he's getting his, and Harden's getting his, and what happens to the team? Right down the tubes. And then they trade them off because it doesn't work. It does not work. I can't even stand to watch basketball anymore because all it is is a bunch of kids who played college ball one year and then they think that what I want to watch is them jacking up threes from half court. I hate it. There's no harmony, coordination, no penetration, no, no movement of players and the ball. You don't see any of that that makes basketball amazing until the playoffs. The teams that get to the playoffs, those are the ones who run that way. Well, the body works in unity. Is Christ divided? Hardly. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13, it said, Has Christ been divided into component parts? Paul was not crucified for your sake, was he? You weren't baptized in the name of Paul, were you? But yet the Corinthians were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of, of uh, Cephas. Factions. That's what religion is. It's a bunch of factions. There's this, this group called the Masons, and they spun off the Mormons. 
right? There's a group, the, the Roman Catholics, they spun off the Episcopals. You know, there's always factioning in religion. Christianity, there's no, no factions. And that's one of the things that's so funny to me about religion. They're always trying to drag the unity of Christianity into religion. Oh, well, there are many denominations. There are many Christian religions. No, there aren't. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's only one, and it has nothing to do with religion. Religion is its enemy. Oh, well, I don't think so. I don't care what you think. Check it out. Because believe me, you haven't studied the Bible for 53 years. So what you think, okay, you tell people, you show people stuff in the Bible, well, I don't know, I don't know whether I agree with that. I don't care. I don't care whether you agree with it, it's the truth. It's your prerogative whether you want to agree with it or not. That's up to you. But it's the truth. So God makes us independent, yet simultaneously he wants us to be part of a whole, dependent on each other, and working interdependently just as the body does just as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit operate. They operate independently, they depend on each other, and they're interdependent. And that's exactly what they expect from us. Amazing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one God, the Holy Spirit, we believers in Christ were all baptized into one body, and that baptism is called the baptism of the Spirit where we were placed into union with Christ at the moment of salvation, a union we cannot get out of. So whether you are Jew or Greek, we are racially diverse. Whether we are slaves or free, we are socially diverse. We were all made to drink of one spirit in unity. Now, back in the slave times when black people were slaves, they were also spiritual. They were believers in Christ. And so they understood that there was slave and free. They understood it. They understood that being slaves meant they got to have jobs. They understood that it was unfair. They understood it. And sometimes that's the system you're in. Go to China. Go to China. Move to China. Live there. Become a Chinese citizen. And then go out on the street and start expressing your opinion and see what happens. I was in Tiananmen Square with my, with my sons, and we were on a tour of Tiananmen Square, and I don't know that you remember a long time ago, but there was that picture of a tank in Tiananmen Square, and there was a kid standing right in front of it. Well, if you go on the website, on the Chinese website, and pull up that same picture, there's no kid in front of the tank. So I asked the tour guide, hey, what actually happened here in Tiananmen Square? And she looked at me and she said, nothing. And I thought she was kidding. Right? So I said, <laughs> I'd laugh. <laughs> no, really. Nothing happened. And we're complaining about how we got it? That happens all over the world. The same oppression happens all over the world in the systemic disunity of Satan's kingdom everywhere. So, disunity, division, and elitism is not God's intention for us. As Christians, we are a team. We all wear the same uniform. But the real question is always, is our heart in the right place? 
Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says, Not always. As a person thinks within himself, so is he. The person says to you, eat and drink, but his heart isn't with you. There are always people who are smiling in your face all the time. They want to take your place, the backstab us. Remember that song? It's true. It's true. And that's what's great about crisis. Crisis illuminates the people who are the backstabbers in your life. The one thing that always becomes clear in relationships is where the heart is. Conflict, tension, and crisis bring, it, bring out the heart. And it is confounding sometimes to realize that the heart of someone you love and treasure is not with you. For example, wedding vows. Most marriages begin with a lie. Here's the lie. I, so-and-so, take you, so-and-so, to be my wife or my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part, According to God's holy law and the presence of God, I make this vow. Then what happens? Divorce at the first sign of trouble. Thoughts of divorce at the first moment when we learn that the other person is a fallible human being who makes mistakes. What if our body acted like we do? What if the hand refused to raise food to the mouth? What if the teeth refused to chew? That would show the belly, wouldn't it? See, that's exactly what happens. I, I, it's always funny to me when married couples go into the marriage with all this romantic crap only to find out within two or three years that the person that they married is a human being who makes mistakes. And a lot of the mistakes they make absolutely hurt. Did you think that wasn't going to happen? Yeah, you did because you were in a fantasy. You weren't in reality. And I don't get it. But I learned loyalty to a human being really early in my life. I was loyal to my mom. During the last 10 years of my mom's life, she did everything she possibly could to make me walk out on her. And I used to laugh at her. I used to say, Mom, I don't care how mean you are to me. I'm here for the duration. I'm not going anywhere. That's that. You are stuck with me. I used to sing this song. I used to sing this song to her. Oh, yes, it's true. I'm so happy to be stuck with you. You remember that song? <laughs> My mom wasn't, she wasn't emotionally, she wasn't emotionally demonstrative, so she would just look at me with this really blank stare, and then she would just roll her eyes in the back of her head. But the other three kids, all three of my brothers and sisters, when mom died, called me and said, they all said verbatim the same thing. They don't even have a relationship. But verbatim, they said the same thing. And that was, you know, I really admire the way you took care of mom. Because the three of us, we didn't want anything to do with her. I really admire how you took care of mom. Yeah, well, it was really easy for me to take care of mom because it says in the Bible Children, honor your parents that it may go well with you and that your life may be extended. Amen? Yeah, so it wasn't a hard choice for me because my God told me what to do. And yeah, so mom was mean to me for 10 years. And if I told you some of the stories, you wouldn't even believe it. For 10 years. 
and I got to deal with that, and then wiping her butt too. Yeah, it just never occurred to me to leave her because she wiped my butt a few times too. Amen? And it wasn't no pampers. You know, it wasn't this little sanitary thing you take off and you fold up and then you put over there. No, she had to wring stuff out with her hands. They were clothed. See? So I didn't mind. So... 2 Corinthians chapter 12, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. The body is not one member. It is many members. Just as no single body part can claim ultimate importance, no Christian can claim the supremacy of the spiritual gift. There is a spiritual gift of evangelism. Someone in Barah Ministries has the gift, and it is unused. And maybe that's why we don't grow as a ministry, because somebody has a gift here, that is being unused. In fact, many here have spiritual gifts that are unused, and it hinders what this body is able to do if we were using all using our spiritual gifts. Well, how we respond to crisis, to the crisis of disunity matters. After experiencing the worst kind of tribulation in relationships, including division, disunity, and elitism, for many Christians, the conclusion is, I'm just going to give it to God. I'm just going to give it to God. Well, perhaps that would be a great idea if that's what God is telling us to do in his word. It's actually not. What he's telling us to do is when you get punched in the face, go walk up and get punched in the face again. And by the way, give him your coat. That's what he tells us. Show me the verse that says, when people hurt you, fold up your tent, put your spiritual gift under a bushel, and just concentrate on me, your God. Talk to me only. Separate yourself from people. That is not what God says. He says, have a relationship with me. That's faith. Place your confidence in me. Have a relationship with yourself. That's hope. Know with absolute confidence that what I say is going to come true in your life. And then have a relationship with others. Unconditional love. Simultaneously. Be willing to hold three thoughts in your head at one time. Amen? People who don't get that are one-dimensional, and they are boring. They scratch their heads, and they wonder why their lives don't work. Their lives don't work because we need each other. And since we don't come here knowing how to be in relationship we, or how to be unified, we have to learn. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to repeat that. Since we don't come to earth knowing how to be in relationship, when we get to earth, all we're doing is whining that nobody's wiping our butt and looking for a bottle. We don't know how to be unified. Therefore, we have to learn. Well, we'll continue learning as we continue our study of this 1 Corinthians passage in chapter 12, verse by verse. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today are to remind you that God wants you. And what God wants is for you to make the most important decision of your life. When you hear the words, God wants you, they should hit you like a ton of bricks. You are special to God. And if you decide to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are even more special. According to 1 John chapter 3, Verse 1, which says this, See how great an unconditional love God the Father has given us believers in Christ, that we would be called children of God the Father. And in fact, we are children 
of God the Father. This message is your invitation to become a child of God as well. There are people in the world, and you may be one of them, who describe themselves as atheists. An atheist is a person who says there is no supreme being. And after hearing these opening comments, an atheist may say, well, there is no God. God does not exist. Philosopher Blaise Pascal, in what was known as Pascal's Wager, says that human beings bet with their lives that God either exists or he does not. And Pascal is right. So if you're an atheist, you would do well to at least consider what the Bible has to say about this issue. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. Even though people think the Bible is just a bunch of stories, the Apostle Paul makes, uh, I'm sorry, the Apostle John makes the function of the Bible crystal clear. John chapter 20, verse 31 says, These things written here in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, deity, the Son of God in human form, deity in human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life in his name. The Bible is a guide designed to give you the truth. And since atheists are created creatures, human beings, they would do well to be curious about exactly what the Bible is proposing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says this, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that is every human who comes to the earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. That's horrible news for an atheist. The good news is that the Lord has an interesting attitude toward all of his creatures, even those who think there is no God. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward you unbelievers, including atheists, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not God's plan that any of his creatures would perish. What is God's plan for the unbeliever, especially the atheist? The Bible claims that God exists and that God lives in heaven. How can you get to heaven? If you're an atheist and you think Pascal was right, then there's no downside to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, right where you sit, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. So God's plan for the unbeliever is outlined in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is an atheist's acknowledgement that there is a God and it might be smart to have faith in him. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation, I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. No creature can do a thing to get to heaven on his own. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says, If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it is no longer based on works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. God's grace makes your salvation a free gift to you. If you have to work for a gift, then the work makes you deserve the gift. 
in salvation, there is no way for you to impress God enough that he would allow you to save yourself. And it is very wise to let God save you because once God does something, he never changes his mind. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Who is this God that saves you? He's the only being ever resurrected from the dead. The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, which say this, For I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul reminds us of the words of the Old Testament prophet Joel, In Acts chapter 2, verse 21, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. So if you're an atheist, I encourage you to keep on investigating to see if you're right about there being no God. And if you're not right, and you think there may be a God, there's plenty of room for you in heaven. Amen? Amen. All right, so we close with a song, What Does God Think of You? David gives us an idea in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. He says, You formed my innermost being. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonder-filled are your works, O Lord, and my soul knows it very well. Psalm 139, 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret when I was skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Psalm 139.16, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written all the days that you ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them existing. God loves you, and as June Murphy sings, you don't have to beg him to love you.
Somebody ate their oatmeal this morning. <laughs> Seriously. She's all up in the cereal today. <laughs> well, if you're ever depressed as a Christian, one of the ways to snap yourself out of it is to go right to Romans chapter 8. And both at the beginning of it and at the end of it, powerful things being said about who you really are. At the beginning of it, in Romans 8.1, it says, And therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ. And here's what it says at the end. It's a doxology of praise to our God. Romans 8.37 says, In every situation imaginable, believers in Christ keep on overwhelmingly conquering through the Lord who loves us unconditionally. Romans 8.38, For I, Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life, nor elect angels who wouldn't, nor principalities, demons, and fallen angels who couldn't, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, Romans 8.39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to sever us from the unconditional love of God the Father who is for us through our union with Christ Jesus, our Lord. Just amazing. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for watching over us, We thank you for laying out a path on which we can walk, the path of righteousness. We thank you for your Son who saved us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who directs us. And we thank you for placing us in a kingdom of resistance with this systemic disunity so that we can learn how to be tough like you would expect us to be. Guard our steps, illuminate our path, and make us make a difference in this lost and dying world. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.